Would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be starting this morning a little bit farther back into what we were just, just a few verses before we ended last week. We're going to start at verse 12 this morning and move outward through the end of 29, I believe, or through the middle of 29, 28. But, um, but today we're going to be talking about two crucial and glorious ministries of the Holy Spirit. And something we have to keep in mind as we seek to understand these two crucial and glorious ministries of the Holy Spirit is the context of Romans as a book and, and, and the context particularly of the chapter we're in. It might be said that the central issue of Romans is how God solves the problem of his wrath against our sin through Jesus Christ. Namely, how he resolves his justice against our offenses to him. How he resolves our eternal death that results because of our offenses to him through the reconciling of us to himself through Jesus. That might be a, a few sentences to try to give you the big picture of Romans. And in Romans 8 specifically, it might be said that the central issue here, particularly to Romans 8, is how God overcomes our slavery, our imprisonment to sin, and the eternal death that results through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to us through Christ. And, 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 and in fact, to try to help us get this context, because I think it's important for all we're talking about today, I did something I've never done before. I drew a cartoon for you. Do we have the cartoon? We do! That's, isn't that great? So I, I mean, just, yeah, like, thank you so much. No, I'm just teasing. But it, it, I did enjoy this. But I've never done this before. Listen, Hold your emails and think about some, there are pastors who've done this before, okay? It, it, it can be potentially kosher. So, um, cause I know some people will be, I saw a cartoon in the middle of a sermon. But other, I didn't get this idea for myself. So, to do a cartoon. So, here's what's going on in, in Romans 8. Before we reject God, before we rejected God, that's who we are at the start of Romans 8. And because of our rejection of God, we're condemned to slavery, to sin by God. Remember, if you were here last week, that's the scary truth. That God himself, because of our initial rejection of him, he hands us over to the prison of sin. And we become slaves of sin. We can't even, if we wanted to, we can't love or obey God. Romans tells us that the, the flesh, the, the outside of Christ's person, they can't even, they can't even obey him if they want to. They're hostile to God. And the, the result of that hostility to God and being handed over to the imprisonment of our, of our own sinful hearts is that we are eternally damned and separated from God forever. But now, because of Jesus, you see that little cross, see there's sin prison on the left, and then the cross comes in and the exploding light, it has some three dimensions, it's pretty cool. And, and now we're freed by Christ's blood. He has paid the debt we owe to God, and God is now happy to be justly required to open up the prison of sin because justice has been satisfied. And that's no longer a punishment that's allowed for us anymore because Jesus has paid the debt. Where debts have paid, there's no penalty for us any longer. The, the prison of sin, its doors are opened. We're no longer condemned to slavery to sin. And the Holy Spirit, represented by that beautiful cloud, comes to live inside that stick guy who represents you and 
and what the Holy Spirit does is he sets your mind on the things of God, your affections, your desires begin to change. You begin to kill sin by the Holy Spirit's power who lives inside you, and that confirms the truth that you are a child of God. But it's not over yet. This is a journey, right? And the journey doesn't end until we're resurrected in body and soul. Our spirits are new and alive now, but our bodies are going to catch up with that at the resurrection. And at that point, we are going to be fully conformed to Jesus. We are going to perfectly love God forever. There will be no more death or sin possible. It will be utterly glorious and all of creation will be transformed. That's where this whole journey is going. And everything we're going to talk about today happens right in the middle in this tension. Theologians call it the already not yet. We're already tasting the first fruits of the Spirit. The, the harvest has begun, but it is, it is just the tiniest beginning of what will be. And, and we're waiting until that final day of glory when death is overcome, that little tomb. Anyway, so that's my cartoon to try to... So everything we're talking about today is happening in between the prison of sin and the resurrection of the dead to come. And I think if we keep that in mind, it'll help us to understand what to do with some of the questions in our text this morning. So, so, let's start with these two crucial ministries of the Holy Spirit. The first ministry is the ministry of adoption, the Holy Spirit of adoption, and he is also the Holy Spirit of intercession. So we're going to start with the Holy Spirit of adoption. And we'll spend some time in the text there. We'll finish with the Holy Spirit of intercession and talk about his ministry of intercession. Before we do any of that, would you pray with me? Abba, Father... Father, that we get to call you Father. Would you help me to serve your children? Would you serve your children through me and despite me? Would you serve your children here through your truth and through your word? Would you be so good as you are to be such a good father to us by nourishing us in your word. And Lord, as I said to uh, Andrew and Bob, I have a sense that there are people here this morning who need you, who don't know you right now. And that you will put it on my heart this morning that you want them. You want them and you are calling to them. And I pray that you would call to them this morning And your call would have its perfect work in saving them and giving them new life in your Holy Spirit. That they might rejoice in the God of their salvation. We ask this boldly because you are able to do all things because of what Jesus has paid for and what the Holy Spirit empowers and does. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first, the spirit of adoption. Starting in verse 12, we'll go through verse 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
for all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. And can I pause for my weekly reminder that sons is a legal description to describe favorite children in, in the in the culture of that day. And it, it does mean sons and daughters. It does mean sons and daughters. Just might, people might say mankind or man. It, it represents both genders. So does sons of God here. Coming back to verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So again, first, the spirit of adoption. And let's look at the context of this phrase in verse 15, the spirit of adoption, the wider context. We learn about words in the Bible by looking at the words around those words. And so we're going to look at the different verses around it. Recognize at the start here in verse 13, we're called to kill our sin by the spirit's power. And that was much of what we talked about last week. And if you didn't hear last week's message, you can get it online on our website. Talk to me about that or anybody Um I'm not going to spend a ton of time going back into that. But Paul says that those who do this, those who put to death the deeds of their body, the misdeeds of their body, that is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, these are the people who are God's children. He's not saying you earn God's children's status by putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. He's saying it, it confirms, it is proof that indeed you are God's child. His Spirit comes into your heart and it must and it will change your heart so that you begin to love your new father and hate what is hateful to him. And the result is that you war against your sin. And then Paul elaborates in verse 15. He says essentially in verse 15, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. He says, you are not going back to sin prison. Even when you fall down, God is not going to hand you back over to be captive and imprisoned by slavery to sin. You're not going back there. You're not going back to jail awaiting final judgment. That is over. Jesus bought you with his blood. He took your judgment and he put his spirit in you and that spirit frees you and it will progressively free you. But he says this beautiful thing then. You're not only free to run the race, to fight the fight of faith, to put to death the deeds of the, of the flesh by the Spirit's power. You're God's very child now. You are His. He has adopted you. He has made you His own child. And He did this of His own desire and love and free will and power. He overcame your sin to grab you and take you into his arms. Last night, I was seeing images and videos of some of you guys know the Bensels and you know the story about little Sophie, right? And she was adopted from China. And I got to see this film last night that Sherry had posted. Sherry Bensels, um, just a, a beloved former member who's in South Carolina now and North Carolina, right? 
Sorry about that. Um, sorry about that for either one who's offended that I get those states mixed up. Moving along. Um, so, so I just, I just watched, you know, Sophie walk out of this room and she's just this little tiny girl and she's just, what's going on? What's happening? She's got a little smile on her face for a little bit. She's wondering what's going on. And then Sherry and Todd come over and they just grab her in their arms and they sit down and they took all these pictures. It's just like Sophie didn't do anything, you know. But this mom and dad have just come into her life and they are scooping her up from the orphanage and they are taking her home and they are going to pour all of their love and all their commitment forever and ever until their dying breath. They are going to give their lives to her, to protect her, to care for her, to lead her. And they have done that. Sophie didn't choose that. She didn't have to work to make that happen. She just gets enveloped by this love. And she's not just some orphan in China. She is their daughter, their princess. She's in their home forever. And that's what God does. He's not your slave master. He's not even simply your God. He is your father. He is your father. And because he is your father, because his spirit comes to live inside you, tells you deep down in your spirit that you're his, you can't help but cry out to him, Father! Oh, God, help. You're the one I need. You're the one I long for. Help. This word in Greek, cry, kreatsin, kreatsin. It's an anamanapia. The word itself, the shape of the vowels, it's supposed to connote intense emotion, a deep, loud cry. The Bible uses this word to talk about the cry of demoniacs in the New Testament It's the word that they used to talk about the cry of Bartimaeus who was blind saying, Lord, help me. It's the cry of Jesus on the cross. It's the same word when he called out to God. Sinclair Sergison says this about this beautiful Abba Father cry. Something we may not have known walking in here. The atmosphere here is not tranquility, but crisis. It is in the cry that God's children utter that the spirit bears witness. But it is a cry in the midst of fallenness and warfare and suffering. Look all around this phrase, cry Abba Father. Do it on your own. Look behind you in Romans 8. Look forward to you in Romans 8. And what you will see are these themes of warfare. Of being led to fight against sin. Of groans against decay and futility and suffering. This Abba Father cry, at least in this context here, it is not a happy Hallmark card, Abba Father. There is a desperate element to it. It's the cry of someone who understands and knows the already but not yet. It's the cry of someone who's not satisfied with sin. They're only going to be satisfied with perfection in their father's arm, but they're not there yet. And so they live in this tension between the prison of sin they're set free from and the resurrection that's not yet here, that they cry, Abba, Father, Father, help. Oh, that is so beautiful and so helpful to know that God knows that we need to cry to him this way. Father, help. I'm fighting. Help me hang in there. Father, I made this mistake. Help me get back up. Father, I want to love you more than I do, but it's hard. 
Father, help me believe you love me. Father, come. Maranatha, bring your son. Father, hear your child. Finally, Paul says in 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So what is this ministry of adoption? The spirit brings to us. He testifies that we're God's children. He leads us against our sin. He causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. But I I think it would be a mistake to see, and I think we've got a slide that summarizes that next. If we go to the next slide. Nope, next one. Maybe, maybe back, maybe back. Is there a slide with spirit of adoption and three bullets? Yes. So he does these three things, but I think it would be a mistake to look at them as three separate things. They all work together. When we're led to love God and fight our sin because we're sons and daughters of God, this is the effect. This is what comes out of the eternal spirit witnessing with our spirit that we're God's children. It's, that's what leads us to fight. When in our battle with flesh and sorrow and trial in this world, we cry out, Abba, Father, this is the result of the spirit's internal witness that we are God's children. And some might assume that this testimony of the spirit to our spirit is this conscious inner voice whisper of assurance. And we hear the Spirit saying, you are God's child. And many believers go through seasons or indeed even whole lives of failing to feel like they hear that voice and they wonder, am I really God's child? Because I don't, I don't hear that voice in my mind the way I want to. But I think there's a problem in, in saying that that's what we're talking about here. I don't see that spelled out here in the context. Uh, number one, and I'll explain what I mean by that too. But, but secondly, listen to this. I think this is important. In Paul's conception of the human person, the spirit of a person and the mind of a person are different aspects of our invisible being. And I'm not sure, as I consider Paul's theology, when I ever see Paul make the mind and the spirit synonymous exactly the same way ever in his writing. If you recall 1 Corinthians 14, you will see Paul and trace his thinking about the mind and the spirit. You will see Paul speaking of a devotional language called tongues. And these are sounds you make with your mind. I'm sorry, these are sounds you make with your body. You, you, You make noises by which you speak and you pray and you sing mysterious things to God through your spirit. And Paul says we do that in the spirit, through our spirits. And you know what he says about our minds? He says our minds have no idea what we're doing. He says our minds do not understand the language that the spirit in our our spirit is speaking when it's doing tongues, if you have that gift. Our spirits, he says, are praising and praying. But Paul says, I do not know what I'm doing. He says, my mind is unfruitful. That can be one of the more intimidating things about the gift of tongues. It feels a little bit like you're off the track. But that's exactly what Paul says is going to happen. Unless you have the gift of interpreting tongues, your your mind is not going to know what those noises mean. 
But they mean something to God. They're from His Holy Spirit. And your spirit is making those noises. And they're a real language that God understands, that He loves to hear, and that somehow you get edified and built up by. But the whole time, unless you understand it, your mind doesn't know (laughs) what's going on. And so, for me, that raises the question, if the Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God, that is a deep inner testimony, as deep as my being goes, but it may mean that my mind does not easily and often consciously hear, you are God's child. That that is no necessary condemnation, that you are not God's child. Because I think what's explicit in this text is these proofs of being led by the Spirit in the attitude of your mind to follow God, to love Him, to war against sin. That's clear. And something happening inside you that wells up out of you by which you call out to God for help. And you say, you're the one I need. You're my Father now. I need you. Something is happening for sure in your mind. But we're not exactly sure how that's all working out underneath Sea level, so to speak, in the spirit. We just see the fruit of it. The fighting against sin. The crying out to God to love him more. And to follow him better. Now, I'm not the only one who wonders about this. Um, So I just, I know this might be a novel idea for some of you. Especially for some of you who who might feel like Blessed Assurance is your favorite hymn. I want to be careful. (laughs) Um, But Sinclair Ferguson and John Piper and other smart guys have, have had similar questions about what does it mean that God's spirit speaks to our spirit. So I just, not that those guys confirm God's word flawlessly, but I just want you to know I'm not a lone ranger in something that may be problematic for some of you. Ferguson says this, Sinclair Ferguson has this beautiful quote, I hope some of you who struggle with assurance are ministered to by it. God's children may even find themselves doubting their gracious status and privileges. What Paul is saying, however, is that even in the darkest hour, there is a cooperative and affirmative testimony given by the Spirit. It is found in the very fact That although he may be broken and bruised, tossed about with fears and doubts, the child of God, nevertheless, in his need, cries out, Father! As instinctively as a child who has fallen and been hurt, calls out in similar language, Daddy, help me! Assurance of sonship is not reserved for the highly sanctified Christian. It is the birthright of even the weakest and most oppressed believer. This is its glory. I know some of you who struggle with assurance, and I certainly have. But for years and years and years and years, you go on seeking after God. You go on changed from what you were before. And you keep crying out, oh God, Father, please help. And I just want to affirm to you that that is a sign of sonship. Your cry is a sign that the Spirit, deep down, is testifying to your sonship. Perhaps in a way your mind cannot grasp. So what's the application for all this? I mean, first of all, you know, application point number one, God is your father. Like, let's just all go home and, and now and just like gloriously freak out, <laughs> you know, like God is your dad. Like, folks, your dad is God. I mean, right? Can we just call the band to come up here and let's just praise him and sing Good, Good Father? Because, holy cow. My father is God. 
God is my father. Like, that's the application. I mean, just rest, bask, be overwhelmed. Thank you for as long as I get to be a pastor. If this is somehow my last day and a Mack truck's in my rear, you know, I just got to spend time basking this this week. And it is messing with me in a good way. And I pray, Lord, would you mess with these people in a good way to hear them here anew afresh as if the windshield wipers were cleared off and the, the halogen lamps were cleared off and suddenly it's real to you again. God is your father. Your father is God. Now, all of us have had sinful fathers. Some of us have had brutal fathers. But God is not that kind of father. He is the kind of father who would never, ever do anything to hurt you. He will allow pain. He will allow suffering only, ever, and always to help you. He is the kind of God who makes everything good feeling and bad feeling work only for your good. Only for your good. He is the kind of God who will never leave you or forsake you. Ever, never, ever, never. Jesus has paid the price for every single reason. And he has lots of reasons why he should. But he never will. Because he would be unjust to do that now. When his son has paid that price for you. And his son didn't make a deal with him. To buy you out. No, no, no. That idea started with him, the father. He sent the son to pay that price. He is the kind of father who forgives everything you do wrong from the day you were born until the day you die and will never hold anything against you. He is the kind of father. He is the kind of father who sacrifices what is most precious to him for you. And even though the cross is finished and the victory is won and Jesus is no longer suffering on the cross, that's still his attitude. I will do whatever it takes to lay down my life for you. So, another application. Do you cry, Father? Do you make use of this birthright? Do you know that he works in you to get that cry out of you? That he wants that cry from you? That in the midst of your battle against sin, when you've fallen down, that he wants you to cry out to him? To help you get back up. To forgive you. To help you believe him again. That your heart wouldn't be hardened and embittered in the deceitfulness of walking away from him. Do you know that he wants you to cry out to him in the midst of temptation? He understands that the temptation is hard. That it's it's about, it's a time of suffering. And that's a big theme in 17. See the end there. We're, We're his children. We're heirs if we share in his suffering. So that we would share in his glory. And talk about that for just a second. There's that theme again of already, not yet. The child of God will suffer now. But the result of it is that if he suffers as a child of God, crying out to God, enduring by the Spirit's power, he makes it to the end and receives the glory of the resurrection in which that suffering is over. And he tastes joy in his suffering now as he perseveres against his suffering 
And what is this suffering? It's the idea of, of the reality of living in this world against our sin in this context, against temptation. And that leads, when you resist your sin, when you try to stand fast under suffering, under temptation, it, it, it results in a kind of godly, joyful, but still yet suffering. As you battle not to give up hope and not to take cheap substitutes for God, as you, as you wait to be resurrected in full conformity to Jesus, but not yet there, you have to suffer some. John Coleman, my buddy, he brought this to me uh, sometime a few months ago. He just said, you know, I'm realizing that when God says that he'll provide a way of escape from temptation, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean, I mean, he, I'm putting words in his mouth. He would say, oh, that's not how I talk. But, um, but he, he just meant that he's seen that, that the way of escape doesn't mean the end of the suffering necessarily. The way of escape is the ability, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10 through 13, it is the ability to endure it. Now, sometimes, almost always, God brings something to the end of a trial, unless it's chronic illness. Or, but, but the point John was making was, what I'm looking for to escape isn't necessarily the suffering that comes from temptation. What I'm looking for to escape is the conquest of sin in the midst of temptation that makes me give up on God and give in to cheap substitutes of pornography or lying or rage or whatever manifestation of selfishness comes in. No, God, Jesus says, he says in Hebrews 2, 18, Jesus says that, or the, the word says that because Jesus suffered when he was tempted... He is able to help those who likewise are tempted. He knows the full terrain of suffering to do what's right. And he empowers you to hang in and endure. And the result of that enduring is you make it to the end. You don't fall away from God. And you are resurrected. And at that point, there is no more suffering ever again to worry about or talk about. We suffer because we're not home yet. And these are the groanings that Paul will now start to talk about more and more. This idea that we're not home yet. This in-between place of the prison of sin and the resurrection of the grave. We're caught in that tension in the middle. And having seen all that, I think we're now ready to understand the final ministry of the Spirit mentioned in Romans 8. The ministry of intercession. The ministry of intercession. The spirit, rather, of intercession. For I consider, Paul says in verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now, until this very day. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit in parentheses, but not yet the full harvest even we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now, much of verse 18 to 25, we went through in detail over Easter. So again, if you weren't here on Easter and you want to go back and check that on the MP3, you can do that through our website. Um, so I don't want to go over that too much today, except it helps us see the context of this forthcoming ministry of the Spirit that Paul's now going to talk about. Paul is saying, again, he's reminding us, we live in this tension. We are made children of God already. We are set free from the dominion of sin. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside us, but we still live in the already not yet. We're living in the midst of still fallenness all around us, Right? Some sins are conquered. Some are still so stubborn. Some come back from the dead. Can't get their own resurrection. Where's the holy water? Oh, man. I'm just joking. That was... I don't even know what to do with that. Sometimes it just... It still just goes off in my brain and I just say something and... And then I gotta, like, bring out the brain janitor and try to clean it up. And you guys are all waiting, you know, for the floor to get mopped and... All right. But... The point is, some sins get conquered at conversion. Some sins are still so stubborn. Some miracles of healing we see now. Bob's colorblindness. Where's Bob? Healed still, right? Amen. 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 Let's, I mean, that's a miracle that happened in our midst, right? My dad, three years ago, sat here with uh, prostate cancer and feeling awful, feeling awful, bones aching, miserable. Trav Newman, one of our pastors, came over and laid his hands on my dad and prayed over him. And my dad could not believe how the doors of pain were blown off his body. And it, for years, now my dad is starting to struggle again. The cancer's coming back. He's 85 years old. Will he get another healing? I hope so. But the Lord does say in his word, after Christ has come, after he has risen from the dead, he still says to us, it is still in Hebrews, appointed unto man to die once and then face judgment. And that's what we all want, right? To die once. We don't want to die twice. So my point is, already, not yet, living in the in-between place, this tension. And so what does the Holy Spirit do about this for us? And this is where we come with this ministry, the Spirit's ministry of intercession, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. Yay! Thank you! For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for what? Listen to this, important, too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God, who who searches our hearts, he understands what the mind of either our spirit is or what the mind of his Holy Spirit is because he, God, intercedes or the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. And let's finish this passage a little bit for where I want to get to here. Same train of thought. Follow me here. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So what's God's big plan for you? To be conformed to the image of his son. Fully, finally, perfectly, totally. Clap, clap. Yes. When does that happen? You can say out loud words. The resurrection, right? It's begun. It's fully completed the resurrection. Paul says the redemption of our bodies. We groan for that. So look at the first part of 26. Paul says in the same way, in the same way, verse 26, the spirit helps our weaknesses. In the same way, this, as the same way as what? In the same way, Paul means the spirit is doing something similar to what someone or something has already been doing before. The same way as what? Well, if you go back to verse 23, you're going to find the last time someone or something was doing anything. And what was that doing doing? It was groaning. Groaning. In verse 23, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus, we want resurrection, and we want it now. We're groaning for that. Well, Paul says, in the same way, what does the Holy Spirit do? He groans for that too. We groan, he groans. We long, he longs. All these things we're up against in this world, all our trials, all our hardships, job loss, cancer, broken relationships, hearts vulnerable to temptations to sin against our Lord, worst of all. And sometimes we just don't know what to do. We, we don't always know what to do. We don't always know exactly what God wants from us in the midst of our lack, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of this already not yet. We don't see always as clearly as we want to. What do I do with this relationship that doesn't work? Do I call the person again? Do I back off? Both could be good. I just don't know what to do, Lord. How do I handle this child I just don't know how to deal with them. Do they need more discipline? Do they need more gentleness? Do they need more love? God, what do I do? Should I speak up right now and defend myself? When I feel like there's, this is just not right? Or, or should I just be quiet and forbear? Both can be good options. I just don't know what to do. Should I stay in this job where I'm being oppressed by my faith so bad with such a nasty boss to witness for you? Or should I obey when you said, if they persecute you in one city, flee to the next? If they persecute you in, in one fast food restaurant, go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Is that a Chick-fil-A employee here? No shame in that. You won't be working on the Lord today, that's for sure. <clears throat> Just kidding. If you work today, it's it's... Not a divisible issue. It's debatable and fine. I'm not going to get in a fight over it. Not with me. But yeah, just confusion. Do I witness to this person or is it the wrong time? How do I beat this sin right now? I'm praying for healing, but you're not answering. Are you doing a, a Paul and Timothy and, and wine thing? Are you doing a try my faith thing and I just got to keep at it? Um, We don't know. The older I get, the less brain cells I have. And I live with these four cartoon characters, ages eight to eight years old. I love them. They're amazing image of God people. But my life is a cartoon at my house. It is, it's not even as rational and 
witty as Phineas and Ferb. It is, it is full Looney Tunes. And it's Coyote and Roadrunner. I go to bed seven times a night. And I wake up not knowing what to do, you know? But in all these things, there are two facts that I know. It is God's will that I be made just like Jesus. That is his purpose for my life. That I love him and know him and enjoy him and be satisfied in him just like Jesus. And the other thing I know is God's spirit knows exactly how to intercede for me in my circumstances so that I will get there. I know the big will of God. I know it's God's will. You know, it says we don't always know what to pray for. He's not saying we don't know what to pray when we say, God, please make me like your son. Like, duh. God knows you know that. He's talking about all the letters between A and Z that you don't know how to get. You know, God, get me to Z. You just don't know how to get there. But he does. He knows you are weak. He knows you're confused. He knows you don't know. And the Holy Spirit knows all the little steps along the way of God's will, little w, that get you to the final big will of resurrection day, big W. And the beauty here in this passage is, just this is just rest in this. We'll get to that in application. It doesn't say that he will tell you what God's will is so that you can pray for God's will. I mean, he does that. That happens. This passage isn't about you figuring it out. There are other passages that are about that. You know, God doesn't want you to be completely clueless all the time. But this passage is not about you figuring it out. It's not about God giving you wisdom he wants you to have in his time if you ask him and believe him for it. That's James 1. That's true. That happens. This passage is about you not knowing and being able to rest that he does. You not knowing and calling out to him, Abba Father, anyway. Yes, we pray. We pray, but we know... We know that in praying, we can leave him with the details that we can't figure out. We groan in our waiting and our eagerness to be done with this world's futility, to realize the full fruits of the first fruits we have, and we groan in all that. But the Spirit is praying exactly for what we need for, with groanings too deep for words. Now, I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe, by God's grace, I have that gift. Um, there's a guy here who helped me a few weeks ago to, to see that better and to start practicing that more. You know who your name is, Bucky. So I've just been enjoying that gift. Now, I know people disagree with me. I don't believe everyone gets that gift because not everybody gets every gift. But if you don't get that gift, you are not excluded from this gift. This is the Holy Spirit's ministry of intercession with groanings too deep for words. When I speak in tongues, I'm using words. I don't know what those words are. God knows what they are. And Bucky, you might know what those words are sometimes. Because I don't have the gift of interpretation yet as far as I know. But these are, these are not words. These are, these are groanings too deep for words. This is communication between the Holy Spirit and, and Father God to do everything that's necessary. And it's going on all the time for you. It's going on all the time for you. It's why you haven't given up on Jesus today. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awesome. So, application. Rest, folks. Rest. Don't worry that you don't know God's exact will for your life right now. Trust what you can 
and know the Spirit knows and is interceding for you according to God's will, which is ultimately to make you more like Jesus. Don't worry that you don't know God's exact purpose in your present trial. Is he trying to build courage, speak up upableness, or gentleness? Ask him. Ask him to show you. But while you're waiting, the Spirit is working to get you from A to B to C to D. Trust that he knows. And he's praying for that thing to accomplish exactly what you need. Next time you come to pray to the Lord and you don't know what to start with, maybe just start by thanking Jesus that the spirit he gave you knows exactly what you need. And you just spend some time thanking him. Just thank him, praise him for that power. Tell him how you're glad to be able to rest in that. Ask him for the things to pray for. Ask him for words. For embrace Embrace your prayers of groaning. It's okay and good to say, oh, Lord, help. I just don't know what else to ask for right now. Please just help. I have prayed that a lot in the last few weeks. How long, oh, Lord? This is a prayer. This is a prayer I wish for all parents, especially young moms. My wife just all day long, she's just, Lord, help. What? How do I? God hears those groanings. He knows how to turn them into the right prayers for the father to work out. And then, you know, just as I said, whether you speak in tongues or not, and I hope with Paul that you might receive this gift, the bigger gift God has for you is that his very spirit is praying in ways you don't understand but are perfect for you. Rest in that. Thank God for that. Thank him that he knows what you need. What a glorious helper we have in the Holy Spirit. It is right and good to pray and thank God for the Holy Spirit. We live in the tension. We're free from the prison of sin, but we're still fighting against it. We're still called to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit's power. We journey in a fallen world as, as risen spirits in bodies that are still to be risen. He helps us at every single step. He's with us even when we're not with him. He tells us deep within that we're his child. It leads us to cry out, Abba, Father. Every moment we're clueless, he knows exactly what God's will is, and he's praying it to accomplish his perfect will in our lives. And he's going to help us finish the race to become just like Jesus, perfect, perfectly loving God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.